And we're back here, Stripe Show Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making us part of your day. I got to be honest, I am uh, I'm getting overwhelmed right now with all these sports going on. I have a cave. I built it years ago. It's got three TVs. Built it for the NFL, but I'm considering that I need more TVs right now with everything that is happening, not just in golf, as we saw the PGA Tour, Shriners, LPGA Tour. They had a major KPMG, the Women's PGA Championship. You had the Champions Tour course. Now LeBron gets his championship, the NBA Finals now over with, and then the playoffs in baseball, the full slate of football. For crying out loud, I was up wide awake, 1230 this morning, watching my Seahawks get it to 5-0. and But that's neither here or there. We're going to talk some golf and uh, got a good friend of mine joining me here today. He was on the grounds in Vegas. You know him from the Golf Channel, George Savarikas. How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? That's a big catch by uh, DK Metcalf for you last night. Yeah. So at least you could like rest easy, land your head on the pillow. We had no business winning that game. None. Zero. Outplayed for, I mean, probably 50 minutes. And yeah. somehow Russell gets the ball and makes magic. He's amazing. He's the best player in the game. And I just, I'm thankful that he is on our team and Metcalf is a beast. We'll take it into the bye, five and zero, oh. and uh, all these sports, man. I got to tell you, it's uh, it's probably not good for my heart watching those games. Not good for my marriage. Um, all these events going on, but uh, you know, the golf it just continues to roll. PGA Dort has done an incredible job. You have the Shriners Hospitals for Children open um, this week. You were out there, TPC Sumler, beautiful track out of nowhere once again. Here we are, 37 years of age. Martin Laird comes back. It's a cool story, George. He, um, as you know, can you imagine, right? You go into this isolation. They call him off the course at the Players' Championship, and there's no golf. And then it comes back in June, and you tear your meniscus, and you have to miss everything through the summer. And then he comes back, and he wins for the fourth time. This is pretty amazing here with Martin Laird. So I'm afforded a lot of opportunities where you get to firsthand see some very special moments. The the first live tournament I covered was uh, 2013 Bridgestone. Tiger was flirting with 59 and had a 61 there and got his 79th win. And for a while, it seemed like that would be the last win that Tiger ever had. I, I got to do the last sit-down interview with Arnold Palmer. And then I, I've seen like a 59. I've seen... Rory McIlroy win the Irish Open, which meant a lot to him winning in his home country. The stories like a Martin Laird are the ones that like you can't help. You have to be an impartial journalist, but you can't help but root for a guy who's on the downside of his career and fighting for playing opportunities. He had to get a sponsor's exemption into Vegas, and you can see – how impactful it is because that changes his life. Like he, he wasn't mm-hmm. sure post-surgery what his game was going to be like. He was starting to get it back a little. He's had previous success winning in Vegas in 2009, but that's a game changer. I mean, that gives him security for the next couple of years. Um, I know for him and his family, he can actually start planning which events he wants to play now and start to have more of a routine when it goes between uh, his new home now in Denver and life on the PGA Tour. And he was getting pretty emotional when we talked with mm-hmm. him after. So those are the ones that when when you're in the midst of it, it's pretty special to see 
firsthand that this will completely change his life going forward. He said it was of his four wins, the one that's uh, meant the most to him. I would imagine. I mean, you tear your meniscus, you're, you know, how are you going to come back from that? You have no status. You missed the cut at the Safeway. It's been more than seven years since he won. Like that's seven years builds up. Yeah. You know, he goes 65th at Corrales. He puts a good tournament together at Sanderson Varves, finishes 28th. And then he just goes uh, and plays great. He's in every category. He's in the positive and strokes gain. Uh, perhaps one of his best ball striking weeks, really, of his career from tee to green, when you look at it from a strokes gain standpoint. And he wins uh, the Shriners. And, uh, and, of course, Austin Cook, who, you know, kind of come out of nowhere there. And then Completely Matthew Wolf just... came out of nowhere. His previous 40 <laughs> starts and 26 missed touch, four top sets. I mean, I mean that's, a lot of that's course set up. And this is kind of a, a good... I wouldn't call it an outlier, but minimal rough, short course. You're playing at 2,200 feet elevation. So you know everyone can go low. Well, I mean, Austin Cook was 205th in driving. <laughs> like, and makes it into a playoff. This, the start of this year, right? Now, you got to remember this season for the, our listeners here. You know, the season started over at Safeway, right? So now we're into the 2020, 2021 season. Yep. Stuart Saint comes out of nowhere, wins Safeway. He's 47 years of age. Bryson didn't exactly come out of nowhere. We've been, well, we've been talking about him a little bit as he wins the U.S. Open at 600 and just blitz the field. Hudson Swafford wins at Corrales. And then here comes Sergio. Oh, yeah. Sergio at Sanderson Farms at the age of 40, putting with his eyes closed. And now Martin Laird at Shriners. You know, they say it's a young man's game, but I look at the age of these guys, with the exception of Bryson, who's 27. There's been some careers that are on their way back and that I just don't know how you handicap this stuff. You know, these tournaments without these big names, I mean, they're coming from everywhere now to win these tournaments. Martin Laird, Austin Cook, as you mentioned, what's your biggest surprise of that group? When you think of Stewart, you think of, of course, Bryson, Hudson Swafford, Sergio Martin Laird, which one jumps out at you? Stewart Sink had shown flashes, but I didn't think he was going to win again on the PGA Tour. I thought Stewart was going to try and at least stay sharp enough so that he could have a smooth transition to the PGA Tour champions and then be one of the big names out there. Like we just saw Ernie Els get his second PGA Tour champions win this season. So I would say Stewart winning, even though he's had better form, I didn't see that happening. So Martin Laird, obviously stunning because it's been seven and a half years, but Martin Laird still has put together like in Puerto Rico he was in second going into the final round so there have been flashes with this game um, to lead you to believe if he was ever going to do it it would be at Vegas where he won the Shriners in 2009 and then lost to Jonathan Bird holding out on 17 in a playoff in 2010 but uh, I mean Austin Cook just even getting in the playoff is probably my biggest surprise because if this was a normal PGA Tour season, he wouldn't have been in the field. He's 155th. Uh, he was outside the top 150, but since it's the super season, his win at the 2017 RSM Classic still carries over. So he's still able to get starts uh, through this upcoming season. I mean, Hudson Swafford played in the Corn Ferry Challenge at TPC in June. True. Also... <laughs> Also a bit of a shocker. Another guy who who had won and then just completely fallen off the map. Yeah. 
It misses a cut at the Travelers. Misses a cut workday. Misses a cut the three M. Fifty six is Safeway and shows up and wins in corrals. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a it's it's a crazy game. And then you know, here comes Sergio the week after he's putting with his eyes closed. I mean, have you ever putted with your eyes closed? I have tried it because I remember uh, Lexi Thompson putted with her eyes closed. I want to say this was like 2014 to 16. Or I, I, I know there was like an extended period of time where she putted with her eyes closed. And I had putting yips mm. probably six, five, six years ago and actually would tried this. <laughs> shame to admit it probably for like six months yeah so i understand why people resort to it you're never going to be a top 50 or top 100 putter uh, on tour if you're putting <laughs> with your eyes closed but if it's not so bad where you think at least from a like speed standpoint yeah that you feel more comfortable knowing that you're going to mitigate the likelihood of flinching at impact i get why people do it but i mean that's you're trying to put a band-aid over like a geyser that's just erupted. So it's, you're in a tough spot. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I think it's desperation, right? I mean, I think complete and utter desperation. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a last resort and in it works, you know, for some, and it helps them quit flinching. It helps them pull the trigger. It helps them start to free up, you know, that, that can do wonders for the mind. You know, a guy that has kind of taught himself, to be a great putter is Bryson DeChambeau who finished eighth uh, at the Shriners and probably would have won if he would have had a good putting week Um, at the U S open. He was positive 4.5 in strokes gain. He was actually slightly in the negative in putting and you know, he's going to gobble up strokes T to green with his length and you know, Bryson, he's a polarizing guy. It's fascinating to watch what he's done. And you know, Matthew Fitzpatrick who was playing over the BMW championship, But he had some comments. They asked him about Bryson, and I quote Matthew Fitzpatrick, it's not a skill to hit the ball a long ways. Uh, I could put on 40 pounds. I could go see a biomechanist. I could gain 40 yards. That's actually a fact. The skill is to hit the ball straight. Now, you know, he said a lot of things, but I think for me at least, George, where, you know, Matthew probably crosses the line a little bit is in the statement that it's not a skill to hit the ball a long ways. What's your thoughts on uh, Fitzpatrick's comments about what Bryson's doing um, with the driver? I'll preface this by saying uh, all my interactions with Matthew have been great. So it's not like I have any preconceived uh, ill will towards Matthew Fitzpatrick whatsoever. I thought the statements, to to be blunt, were idiotic Uh, in the sense that and I echo, and I know Brandel has said this, like the, the hardest skill in golf is to hit the ball long and straight. If Matthew Fitzpatrick is carrying the ball 270 off the tee and Bryson's carrying it 320, Bryson's dis- like misdispersion is going to be significantly more than Matthew Fitzpatrick. So I'm not surprised this type of feedback or blowback is from a Matthew Fitzpatrick type because only a short hitter would say this, but a short hitter has a built-in advantage because their misdispersion is going to be less than someone who's carrying it 40 to 60 yards further on average off the tee. Look at the statistics behind it. That's a fact. So to say that the only skill is to hit it straight is misguided. 
I'd say the skill is to hit it long and straight, which Bryson beat the field average at Wingfoot off the tee. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and I think if you looked at where Bryson is carrying it off the tee and what his missed dispersion is at 320 average, 322 last season versus where he was two to three years ago, he's probably more accurate. Yeah. So that, yeah, it's that, just... that's where I think it's, it's misguided. I understand why a Matthew Fitzpatrick type w- would harbor that initial stance just because he feels threatened by where the game is going. But at the end of the day, look in the mirror. If you can add 40 yards and that can have a positive <laughs> impact on your game, which I, I think is an utter fallacy that he can just somehow flip a switch and add 40 yards. Why haven't you already done that? Well, I think that's the other part of it, right? Like the, there's two things there. One is just the, the statement itself is, I agree, is idiotic that it's not a skill to gain distance. I think to be so passive about it, like, well, I could put on 40 pounds and see a biomechanism. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you not trying to do that? Now, we know there's risk in that, right? We've seen guys struggle in putting on distance. You know, Jordan Spieth comes to mind. There's others that have tried to go down that path. And I think that's, it speaks to how remarkable it's been for Bryson to be able to change his body like this. Let's take a second to talk about the guys and girls over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting-edge technology in their golf balls that the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter-weighted designs, use of high-density particles, and even a nano-transitional layer in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course and extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, but the new Vero X1 is the highest performance ball to date with their full suit of golf balls. They are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com slash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. Yeah, when I hear Fitzpatrick's comment, it comes across to me, he's a guy that's clearly frustrated. He's tired of hearing about it. And he's not the only one, I'm sure. He is a short hitter. But I think you counter that with Bryson. He can rub people the wrong way. You know, I think he's, you know, he's a bit arrogant at times. Um, When things are not going his way, he can you know, come off the handle just a little bit from time to time, as we saw again, lash out at a guy taking pictures of him. I mean, there's nobody out there for crying out loud. And, you know, we've seen these examples play out a bit of immaturity, a bit of overconfidence. And now you add the distance and now you're hearing about it and pow, here we go. Someone's, you know, has uh, taken a shot back. So I think it's fair. You add it all up and I'm sure that's weighing on Fitzpatrick and there's others. You agree? Yeah, I, w- I would definitely agree. And I, and I know that Bryson has heard criticism before, and this will persist going forward. Um, I, I will be very interested to see what the reaction's like at Augusta when he unveils using a 48-inch driver uh, <laughs> in, in tournament play. It's just it's so rare, not only in golf, to see someone change their body composition to such an extent. To gain 40 pounds is... Uh, absurd, but even in other sports, like in, in in the NBA, you maybe see a guy add f- ten to fifteen pounds of muscle, maybe maybe twenty pounds. 
Uh, NFL, occasionally you'll see like a 15 to 20 pound alteration, but 40 pounds is, that takes an obscene uh, amount of dedication, not just in the gym, but the amount of calories that you're having to eat and reestablish as your baseline to not only add that weight, but keep it on. But I, I think big picture and would be curious your thoughts, Travis, that Bryson uh, appears to have a disproportionate risk tolerance compared to the other guys in the top 10 to top 20 in the world in which he is willing to test not only how far his body can go, but from an equipment standpoint, how far he can push his game. And I think the 48 inch driver in which he's been testing ongoing, but will now really ramp up leading to Augusta national is an indication of that. But in his mind, He's backed by the analytics that he's able to accrue from the testing process that he goes through. So I don't think he views it as a risk. He views it as maximizing his opportunity to play his best golf going forward. Yeah, you just feel like now that where he is and how far he's hitting it and what he's proven to himself, that the only person that can get in his way is probably himself, right? Uh, or his these guys body are gonna, being able to to maintain going forward would be the yeah. Other I mean, in the body, right? The body. We don't know the shelf life of this, right? With mm-hmm. his his body, his muscles, his joints, and how they're going to respond long term. In the present time, it, it's impressive. You can't deny it. What he's doing. I mean, driving. What's the par four there at uh, TPC Summerlin seven? seven? Yeah. No one had drove it since the shot link era started in 2003. And then he does it Thursday and Friday. The first guy yeah, just does it twice. Just lands it, <laughs> runs it right up to the middle of the green. I mean, what we're seeing is just remarkable, his length and his, his accuracy. And, you know, now he can just get in his own way, right? He knows going into Augusta that he has an advantage here. And now are you willing to put on more risk here of a 48 inch driver and put that in play for the first time at a major championship? And he clearly feels like he is now it'll be interesting to see if he, if he follows through with that, but he can only get in his own way at this point. I think he gets great pleasure in proving people wrong, you know, and that what he's doing, there's a definite chip on his shoulder. And I think it's great. You know, it motivates him. He was putting side saddle three years yeah, ago. Yeah, side saddle. Yeah, it was a horrendous putter. I mean, th- that's the the narrative that is overshadowed by his prodigious length off the tee. He, he was a terrible putter, and has yeah, he was. now transformed to a guy who's what probably. I mean, his performance at Wingfoot was masterful throughout the week. So he, he's gone from that being a pain point in his game to that on certain weeks being a strength where he's top 20 in the field. So it, what he's done there is nothing short of remarkable. And that's taken just as much of a concerted effort to take what was uh, a weakness and turn that into a strength. I'm curious because you were there at Shriners and you talked to Bryson, you know, we're not going to see him, right? Before the Masters, he's going to go work out. He's going to go test this driver. He's going to go dial things in. What what did he have to say to you when he was leaving Vegas? And I was trying to get into specifics as far as 
how many days are you going to be at Augusta? How, how many drivers are you going to hit? Are you only hitting 48-inch drivers? What numbers will you have to see off your launch monitor consistently for you to say, this is the driver I'm going forward with? If for some reason the 48-inch driver isn't in play, then what transpired? The, the answer that I received, he's immediately trying to add even more weight. I think his target weight now is to get up to 245. He said that not only will he be working out rigorously and trying to pack on a few more pounds, uh, he's going to hit something along the lines of 2,000 drivers, but it's not just going to be 48-inch drivers. Um, he's going to do some speed training as well with weighted drivers. Mm-hmm. So that was going to be a, a big part of this lead up to Augusta. Um, he said he's going to play Augusta National uh, with a friend of his. I was asking which tee shots and approach shots he has deemed as critical with this new revamped style of play compared to what we saw out of Bryson in 16, 18, and 19. And as an amateur, he had that splash where he was, what, three under – through 35 holes and then made triple on nine and the lead had been at four. And then he fell back on the weekend and was T21. He's never finished better than T21. So he hasn't played well at Augusta. And when I asked which T shots and second shots he deemed is critical or like which driving holes will be different. It was basically every single par four, except for like seven. So the, the entire course is going to be different. And I think it's going to open up substantially with where he can fly it to like the bunkers on 18 should be out of play. And then you got what a 70, 80 yard fairway. And that's just one example out of the gates of what he's going to be able to do. I'm fascinated by 13. What, what line he's going to take is it going to be oh, yeah. comparable to what Bubba did where he could hit driver and then have a flip wedge into the par five. So, I mean, he had a flip wedge in this 16. He, the, Par five at TPC Summerlin on his opening round when he shot 62 and was the longest drive of the day by 25 yards. So I think regardless of how successful he is, he's going to be the most intriguing storyline and most intriguing player to watch because how far he carries it and some of the lines he takes will be lines we potentially have never seen before. At the Masters. It's not far away. Of course, you've got the, the CJ Cup this week at Shadow Creek, which will be fun, limited field. I believe 80, 82 guys. Yeah, yeah, phenomenal field. It's a combination yeah. of where it is on the schedule. It's a good one, too, if guys want to play this in Sherwood and take a couple weeks off. Yep. And then Shadow Creek, it still adds that allure to it. I, I don't know that a big-name guy is committed just because it's Shadow Creek. But anyone on the fence or players I've talked to who haven't seen it yet, they're excited because they know the mystique that surrounds this uh, this club. Yeah, it's going to be fun to see that on TV. You've got, like I said, the top five. And, you know, after this week, George, you know, the four tournaments, you got Zozo, Bermuda, Houston, and Masters. And there's a guy that's actually the defending champion of two of those four. And his name's Tiger Woods. Yeah, You know, I think you just have to take it week by week with him when he shows up. Hopefully he's feeling good. Hopefully there's a little warmth and he can keep his back feeling okay so he can go out and um, and give it a go. But I just don't know how much really he's able to practice. What's your take on what we're going to see from Tiger here? 
I think you hit the nail on the head. And when I was talking with Tiger at the uh, BMW championship, it was uh, his kind of season in review interview because he finished early in the final round on Sunday. hadn't played that well this week. And I posed the question, how do you balance rest, which is critical at this stage in your career, and reps? And he said, I will always take rest over reps. So that, to me, said it all. When Tiger says, I haven't had enough reps, my game isn't sharp, I would always think, well, okay, get more reps. What's the problem here? Now I know that's not possible. Like mm-hmm. He has to listen to his body. He cannot put in the time to fine-tune. Basically, it's – I mean, and you would know better than I would. It seems like the putter has been the big problem with him over the course of this season. Ball striking has been spotty at spots, but the putter has just been – far below the Tiger Woods that we have seen historically. I still think like, remember Zoso last year, he hadn't played for two months. Looked yeah. Yeah. Terrible in that skins game leading up to that week with Hideki, Jason day and Rory, and then puts on this amazing ball striking performance. I mean, that was some of the best iron play we've seen out of Tiger Woods since what? 2013. Uh, so yeah. that's why he has these flashes where, um, it's not necessarily going to be always like it was going into the 2019 Masters where it had a top 10 in uh, Mexico City and at least showed some flashes. Or even in 2018, we saw a much better body of work where he was close at the Open, close at the PGA Championship. I even think he's aged substantially just from 2018 to now where we're probably going to have – three to four weeks a year where he can be in contention and the back can hold up mm-hmm. two holes on top of that with practice Tuesday, Wednesday. So I, I think to not have a single day where he wakes up and he's stiff and it's, Oh no. I mean, the, the day shot, even pars best case scenario, you're maybe going to get three out of four weeks out of the 12 to 15 that he plays. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's, that's where he's at. I think it's just reps with the putter too. He just can't get reps really with, you know, anything. It's not just the the swing, but sure. but the putter and the whole bit. And, and that's, that's a guy that, you know, likes to get reps and all right, let's have a little fun. Yeah. You ready for this? As we, uh, on me. we call this segment, we're going to look ahead here. Okay. True or false is we're forecasting the future here. Yeah. A few of these questions are about the next five tournaments. Of course, got some big ones coming up. Then also in just kind of lobbing it ahead here into, into next season as we'll be out in Hawaii before we know it. All right. First one, Tiger finishes his career with 82 wins. False. And I, I had this argument uh, with a couple colleagues when he was stuck on 79 and I said that he was going to get to 83. So I still think now that he's at 82, that he's capable of having a week where the back abides <laughs> and he's able to string together 72 holes. Next question. Bryson wins more major championships than Brooks Kepka when it's all said and done. That's a really good one. Um, man, Bryson is... I mean, he's trailing by three right now. <laughs> That's why it's hard. Because like, I, I posed this question before with Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth. And I think yeah. that's a, a 
a good debate, especially given where they're at in their careers. And I love what Bryson's doing. I would lean Brooks just because even if he claims that he doesn't ratchet it up in majors, it's a different Brooks major weeks. Um, I think he's capable. He's already at four. Um, he's still got another solid eight to 10 years at least. I, I think yeah. you get to six or seven. So if he's at seven, I mean, that's a big number for Bryson to get packed. Yeah, it is. And it just feels like, you know, the only, my only knock with Bryson is when things don't add up, right, on the golf course and he kind of gets it going the wrong way, it obviously, it affects him. You can see it, right? He gets irritated easy. That's um, his biggest weakness. I don't know. And I, and I yeah, I it hope. is. I have a very good relationship with Bryson has been great to me. I understand why his detractors um, are able to pick through what are some of his like less favorable attributes or displays that we've seen publicly on golf courses. I hope from a maturation standpoint that we see uh, an evolution of Bryson inside the ropes where there's less of the, um, lashing out, especially at the people who are broadcasting um, the event, because he has a lot of great. I mean, he, he can be very charming, and has a lot of great, great attributes to his personality. And I think what he's doing for the game is an absolute home run. I, I think it's phenomenal. So, but I do worry that when things go south, and I, I think we've all seen it in broadcasts that he can start to flip pretty quick where it seems like mentally um, he, he doesn't try and steal himself as much where he, he could start going south as well. Next question. The USGA will be better off without Mike Davis. Mike Davis, of course, stepping down at the end of next year. So, uh, and it's like if you're an NFL team and you, f- you fire your head coach, and I know Mike Davis is voluntarily leaving, you always wonder who's going to be the next to step in those shoes and will they be able to either improve on or at least continue the policies that were in place. I think it's been a mixed bag for the USGA over the last eight to 10 years. Um, I think Mike Davis has done a lot of good and there are probably aspects of his tenure in which uh, he could have made it a bit more collaborative um, especially with the players. So I, I think that there is room for improvement going forward, and he's had a, a pretty incredible run with the USGA. Yeah, it just feels like the USGA could get a little younger, yeah. um, a bit more on the youthful side. I think Jason Gore is great, and I hope he's elevated to a yeah. higher role within the USGA because not only – from a personality standpoint, is he just a tremendous human? I think he's a very bright guy and understands from the player's perspective what goes into this, where he could kind of thread that balancing act of wanting to put on a a very tough competition that is also fair and where the course setup doesn't become the overwhelming storyline. Yeah, for sure. You know, they they lost the U.S. Open there for a while. You know, I mean, just – and I remember growing up, the U.S. Open was was number one for me. You know, that was the tournament. And you knew that was going to be the know. toughest major. 
And the only thing yeah. that guys would ever gripe about was just how deep the rough was. But that was the expectation. That was the one week you were going to get your ass kicked. But it was never like, yeah. oh, this has gone to kind of like cartoonish. I mean, pain yeah. at Olympic a little bit. I remember the, when he's trying to chase down Lee Jansen. But that wasn't the storyline that dominated the headlines. It was more how Lee was able to prevail and get his second U.S. Open. But beyond that, growing up, I don't remember there being substantive issues until the last, what, six, seven years for the most part. And, and then it was just like one year after another. It seemed like they couldn't get out of their own way. It's true. You know, and it just wasn't the men's game. There were some debacles in the U.S., uh, the women's open. You know, there's just there's a lot of things there. But, you know, they seem to have gotten back um, a little bit. I, I just USGA. I think the PGA Tour has done a nice job. I think the LPGA Tour has done a nice job. You know, there's always opportunity. I think the there's a bit more youth when you think of those yeah. brands, right? And the way that they're presented. Um, I think it's good now that the narrative has moved away from Tiger primarily, right? The tour is much bigger than that, deeper than that. He still moves the needle. And, he you know, still moves he, the needle. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he always will. Yeah, but No, there is a lot more but, depth, for sure. But the USGA feels like the steps they make, you know, they're like taking from 1975 and they're now making, and they're bringing it up to 1985. They still feel, you know, 15, 20 years behind in many ways. And I just, I, I think getting some younger blood in there and mixing it up a little bit, Jason Gore's impact, um, I think would go a long ways in decision-making and the way they present these championships and the rules of the game and the way that it's being portrayed in social media. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of layers to it, as you know, George. And I just think that USGA has a little ways to go yet when it comes to getting up into the current times and the way that you want an organization to be viewed by the next generation of players, which is, is obviously very important. So Next one. And I'm bullish real quick going forward, the venues that they yeah. have. I think LACC North is going to be a standout, and I hope that's part of uh, a big part of future sites. But to have a West Coast U.S. Open in 2021 at Torrey Pines and then LACC in 2023, and I, I think they have a, a tremendous list for the next seven, eight years. So they, from a venue standpoint, they're spot on. Uh, hopefully they start to become a little more nimble. Um, and I think they're taking steps in the right direction. You ever heard a player like George Spieth say he has no idea where it's going to go when he hits it off the tee? Like he Man, um, I've probably heard guys say that to me on the range or in passing uh, publicly. I, I can't, it, it doesn't come to mind. It's got to be very rare. Is there anyone that you can think of that's, that's not like that? Not like that. It's amazing yeah. how honest he is. And that's why I love chatting with Jordan and it just his yeah. mental makeup is very strong. I'm curious with where he's at and where he's trending and the team around him, what's going to have to occur for us to see Jordan's game start to trend on that direction back on the upswing. I see you able to keep the same team. Is there going to be have to have to be some type of of change. I, I don't know the answer. Um, I, I would just like to, as a golf fan, see if there's a horizon for when he starts 
the build. Everyone loves a comeback story when, when he's able to start yeah. building his way back to the, the player that we saw 2015 through end of 17. All right. Last question. True or false. United, our first episode of on the range years ago at golf channel. And we had no idea. Oh, hundred percent true. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the blame. I ran that show into the ground. It was canceled. What? Four or five months after oh, yeah. I took over for uh, Gary Williams. That was a ton of fun, but yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, just throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what would stick. But that was a fun, it was mainly what me, you and Beamer. Yeah, it was me, you, and and Rich, and it was all it was our first show yeah. for all three of us. I had so much fun. That was a good crew, and I, I honestly, I wish <laughs> there was more of that type of stuff because I think it was fascinating. Yet, um, why yeah. Golf Channel kind of deviated from that type of programming, especially by the time it aired? Like, it would have made sense for us to be live on the range. I was originally, yeah. yeah well. You know, that concept was then just blended into all the other shows. So it just, you know, we did the show on Wednesday night and then it just pretty soon it was like morning drive and then, you know, live from and that's what you you know, you're just hanging out talking about it. But that was, um, yeah, that was fun. And, um, you know, Billy Harmon, I did a lot of shows with him. Billy is the man. Bark at me for the better part of an hour and then you know, then that eventually went into morning drive. So that was good times. And yeah, well, she's the first probably dozen shows, whether it was on the range or morning drive, things are moving fast and you're just, you're just trying to listen and talk at the right time, (laughs) let alone have something. You you had a good learning curve. I mean, as you know, it's not an easy skill set to try and not only get, get comfortable with the flow of those type of shows, but to be able to organize your thoughts in a like clear, concise and easy to understand manner. I mean, that's, that's the beauty yep. of like w- what you guys do and instructors, analysts, my job's easy. It's just to ask questions. You guys have the hard job where you just have to dis- like dispense information and in, in, in an easily digestible manner. So it's, it's been cool to see uh, kind of the, the career arc for not just yourself, myself, Beam now over at Sky, our, uh, our humble beginnings yep. uh, doing those tapings, uh, what was it, Tuesdays? And I think our, our – or would we – yeah, I think yep. we would you tape it Wednesdays and it would air Wednesday night. But I remember our, our team record yeah. was what, like an hour and 18 minutes to tape all the blocks? <laughs> yep. That was fun. Yep. No, that was, uh, that was fun. And people ask me like, well, what's been your best experience for your career? And I say, well, doing live television for sure. I mean, nothing teaches you how to speak and listen quicker than live television and doing tape stuff is, you know, it's its own deal. But when that, when the light hits and it's live, like that's, that's a whole baby. It's go time. (laughs) It is. And, and, and when you do it and you learn how to do it, I mean, it, it teaches you how to, it teaches you how to speak and, um, and do it the right way. So yeah, that was fun. And, um, enjoy watching you out there. Uh, take this week off. <laughs> and then, uh, when are we going to see um, you again? Not sure. The next scheduled event is, uh, Mayakoba. Um, there may be a couple other things okay. that pop up this fall, but nothing, uh, finalized yet. But it, just as a, a golf fan, if I were to have, the next two weeks off, 
to get to watch Shadow Creek and then Tiger back at Joe. So yeah. uh, how good is this fall West Coast swing? It's tremendous. 